that we have begun uh, called Extraordinary. Amen. And so I want to recap a little bit. We just kind of gave an introduction last week, but what we are doing is we're going through the Bible and we are looking at the characters in the Bible that we've always deemed extraordinary, did extraordinary things. They were awesome. They were used by God. They were mighty people that did things that, you know, we read and we look at and we're like, man, I wish I could do that. That's about as close as we get is we wish or, man, I hope one day God can use me like that. Or I wish God would use me to slay a nine-foot giant or to build an ark that would save my family and start all of creation over again. I wish God would uh, allow me to look past my limitations like Abraham and be able to move forward and just believe him with such great faith. You know, there's not many Christians that I've run run into, not very many believers that I've come to know that don't want to grow deeper in the things of God. They want to. It's just how do I, and, and then it's the denying of myself to be able to get there because really when it's all said and done, you are your own worst enemy. You're the one standing in the way of yourself because nobody can stop you. Nobody can keep you. No matter what family member, no matter how close they are, no matter how bad you had it as a child, no matter uh, how little of education you've had, there's really nothing that can keep you from doing the things God called you to do. You're your own worst enemy. And so sometimes we look inward and we look at ourselves and say, I could never do that. We just never allow ourselves to get there. And so we've been looking at these characters, but you know, we, we put them on the pedestal because of what they've done, but we have to look before that. We have to look at who they were when God called them, when God assigned them, when God placed the call on them that you are going to build an ark. You are going to be the next king of Israel. You are going to be the one that's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament and continue my church and help advance the kingdom of God. And we look at who they were, when they did those things and what they did that made them extraordinary. But we have to get to where God called them. And really, you will begin to find out, and this is what we hit on last week, that they were just ordinary people. That God likes to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We try to qualify ourselves. We try to say, okay, now I'm good enough. Now I, I, I read my Bible in, in, you know, through in the entire year in 2013, so now I'm ready. You've been ready. And the verse that we looked at last week was in John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus told his disciples the things that I am doing, the things that you have seen me do, you will do. Okay, we can stop right there. We can stop right there and say, whoa, the things that you've been doing? Because, I mean, again, if we could pick anybody in the Bible that said, who did great things? Who was extraordinary? Jesus. The things he did were extraordinary. The things that he did were off, the things that he did were off the charts. Awesome. You know, we compared it. Last week to, you know, us guys, we relate to the video games. And whenever you're doing like a fantasy team or you're creating a player, you always give that guy 99s and everything. I mean, that's the top guy. He's, he's the one making the most money. He, and, and Jesus was that guy. He had it all. He's the first guy that you're picking on your team. He's extraordinary. So we can stop right there with the things that I do, you will do. And now we look at the disciples and say, oh, yeah, man, they were awesome. I had a conversation once with a, uh, man, what was it? Was it Jehovah's Witness that came by my house? I think it was Jehovah's Witness came to my house. And we had a conversation because we got a lot in common. Because Jehovah's Witness, man, they're all about the kingdom. They just think that, you know, the kingdom of God is going to come down here and blow this earth up one day. And we're all just going to, you know, and, and so, that you know, they kind of have it's a little bit skewed. I mean, they don't even know who Jesus is. They're Jehovah's Witness, but you don't even really know who you're witnessing about. But we got into a conversation and, uh, you know, started talking about the power and the authority that we have as believers. Because they were limiting it. They're saying that we're here on this earth just to do good things. And just try 
try to be as good as we can according to what the Bible says and, and how we should act, the kind of character that we should have. And then one day the kingdom will come and we'll be a part of that kingdom. I said, well, we, we can do way more than that. I mean, Jesus told his disciples. Oh, well, yeah, that was his disciples. Okay, that was his disciples. But then he opened it up to anybody who believes. That's the qualifier. Not anybody that's spent the last three years with me. Not anybody that I have specially anointed. Not anybody that I have specifically called. No, anyone who believes. That's how he starts off verse 12 in John chapter 14. If you believe in me, these things that I do, you will do. And so that's where we kind of split terms. Oh, yes, you, you, you think you could do what Jesus did. I don't think. I know. <laughs> the Bible tells me so. Mark chapter 16. Those who believe in my name, they will go out casting out demons, speaking in other tongues, raising the sick, heal, raising the dead, healing the sick. That's what the Bible says. What Bible are you reading? Oh, yeah, you got to be specially called. I am specially called. Many are called. Few are chosen. I'm chosen. I've been picked. And so Jesus is speaking to 12 people. And when we look at those 12 people, we kind of look at them in the book of Acts. But when you look at them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were a bunch of nutcases sometimes. This, this was a crazy group. This was a bunch. They didn't even get along with each other. You, I mean, you, you start identifying and going through and studying out who the 12 disciples were. And some you've got more information on than others. But these guys weren't, these weren't religious people. Jesus didn't go into the synagogue and say, all right, who's the most righteous Pharisee? I need you to come follow me. No, he picked fishermen, tax collectors, regular old guys that had families, had jobs, had careers, had no purpose, didn't know what they were doing. And these are the guys that Jesus picked. So we've got to get past this qualifying step. You know, Jesus goes on in that verse, in verse 12 and says, and even greater works. Even greater works will you do because I'm going to the Father. Because Jesus isn't here anymore, he needs you to do a work. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that awesome to know that not only is he asking me, he's requiring me. Unless I do it, it's not getting done. And so we look through the Bible when we find that God used ordinary people. In fact, as we go through this series and the people that we start looking at, you'll actually probably start feeling a little bit better about yourself. You'll start looking at guys like Abraham and think, man, that's who we're going to look at today. 75 years old, hasn't had any kids, and you're going to be the father of many nations? Start looking at Moses. Moses was a murderer. Moses was insecure about himself. Moses had a speech problem, a stuttering problem. Moses thought he was the last one. And there's so many, I mean, really, I could spend the rest of this year in this series. Gideon, Elisha. Elijah. Elijah calls down fire on the prophets of Baal, wipes them all out, does the greatest miracle, and two days later he's running for his life and just says, oh, I wish I would just die. <laughs> Where are you at, man? You just saw a wet altar get burned up, and you just killed a bunch of, a bunch of uh, idol worshipers, and now the queen, not even the king, the queen is coming after you. We know the king is more powerful than the queen. The queen is coming after you, and you just want to die. You just want to hide out. You say, Lord, take me from this place. I don't want to be here. Talking about ordinary people. And you'll start feeling a little bit better. You, well, man, maybe I can do something. And I hope that you see that. Because the purpose of this series is for you to identify that God wants to use you. Over in 1 John, we saw that uh, the word says that you're not doing greater things because you're greater. You're doing greater things because the greater one lives inside of you. Greater is he that is in you. Therefore, greater are things that come out of you. Greater is he that is in you. Therefore, I'm doing greater things. I'm doing extraordinary things. 
And so now the kicker that we found last week was that we're never really ordinary once we come into the kingdom. Once you receive greater on the inside, now you are qualified to do extraordinary. Now you're qualified to do the great things. And see, sometimes when we hear that word greater, we think of the word better. But he didn't say you'll do better things. He said you will do greater things. Better means, well, now I got to go get a different job. And now, you know, I need a different family. And now I, I, I need a different purpose with my... No, you can do greater with what you already have. You can be greater as a mom, greater as a dad, greater as a parent, greater as a husband or a wife, greater as a coworker, greater as an employer. Now what I'm doing becomes greater because of the greater one that's inside of me. I don't have to go change up my whole life. There might be things that you identify through this series, like, man, I, I need to change that. I, knew, I need to do this different. Or maybe you'll find out that you've been holding yourself back from something that you should have been going for the entire time. You've been limiting yourself. We read through the Bible and we disqualify ourselves when we should read through the Bible and become empowered to do the things that God has called us to do. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to talk about Abraham today, talking about extraordinary. And many of you know about Abraham's life, so I'm not going to read out of Genesis. But I'm going to read out of passages that talk about Abraham. Well, I, want to find, I want to show you in the New Testament what they were saying about this man named Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. He's the father of us all, the father of many nations. But when it comes to faith, he's the daddy. He's big poppy of faith. This is the man that got it started. This is the man that showed us how to walk in faith, how to live by faith. Because remember, we said this last week. This is how we close, because this is the kicker for the whole rest of the series. If you're going to do extraordinary things, you have to have extraordinary faith. You have to have faith. Faith is the, is the common denominator for every person that did something great in the Bible. Now, what is faith? Faith, we have defined as believing. It's what you believe. My faith is what I believe. That's what I'm set on. It's a firm foundation. It means you can't be moved off of faith. It's not faith if someone can get you off of it. That's called doubt. Faith is steadfast. Faith is immovable. But faith has a second part to it that we leave out a lot of times. Faith is believing, but without acting on what you believe, there's no faith. The Bible says in James chapter 2, and we'll look at this in a little bit, that faith without works is dead. Now that word dead means incomplete. It means we're missing a part. Faith isn't just believing. Faith is believing and then acting on what you believe. There's two parts. So as we go through the series and we look at these different characters, that's what you can always go back to. This person had faith. This person believed something and then obeyed. This person believed something and then obeyed what God asked them to do. They applied, they acted on what they believed. And so let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 is where I want to start. And it says here, by faith, Abraham what? Obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Did you know it takes faith to obey God? Doesn't matter how he talks to you. Doesn't matter if he sends you an angel. Doesn't matter if you hear an audible voice. Doesn't matter if you see it in his word. Doesn't matter if you just get that still small voice that we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. Doesn't matter how he communicates it to you. It requires faith to do it. Sometimes we think if God would just show up, then I would do it. No, you would still have to have faith. There's still a level of faith that's necessary regardless of how he communicates it to you. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. When he was called. Every great assignment has a calling. You can go through any superhero movie. 
Batman, Superman, it doesn't matter who it is. There was a calling. There was a giving of an assignment that took place. And it requires faith to obey what that assignment says. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive. Which he would receive. How many of you can move without knowing where you're going? How many of you can step out without knowing what the next step is? How many of you can take this step without seeing any other place to go? Where, what am I supposed to do? What, uh, okay, okay, we're stepping here. All right, what, where's the, okay, right, there's the next one, God. And that's what Abraham did by faith that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. So he went where God called him to, and it wasn't even familiar when he got there. It wasn't even recognizable. He lived there as if he was far away from everything that he knew. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who promised. You're going to learn about the position that you have to be in to do extraordinary things. Again, these are ordinary people. Let's go ahead and take that filter off of, oh, they're so great. No, these are normal people like you and I. Some of them with greater limitations than we've ever known. Verse 12, therefore, from one man, I like this part, and him as good as dead. Even when they refer back to Abraham, they talk about him like, dude, this guy was written off the charts. This guy's not going to make it. Nobody believed in him. There's no way this guy was supposed to do what he did. As good as dead. Has anyone ever told you that? You're as good as dead. See, some of y'all probably never even been told that. They're still saying that about it. Even after what he did, they're still saying, but man, let me just tell you, this guy was no good. This guy was not qualified. This guy was as good as dead. Therefore, from one man were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, there's another act of faith that Abraham did, and we know about it. And when you look at Abraham's life, it was just one test after another. It was just faith to faith, man. Every time he proved himself to God, God asked for something else. And you know, Abraham, by the time God's asking him to offer up his only son on an altar, Abraham's thinking, have I not done enough? I got up and left my family. Genesis chapter 12, Abraham gets a word from God, go. One of the shortest words in the human vocabulary, go. That's all we got. Leave everything you know. Leave your family. Leave your land. I mean, back then they didn't just get up and, hey, let's go see what California looks like. They didn't do that stuff. Where you were born is where you lived. That's where you made your living. That's who you knew. And there's way too much stuff to take with you even if you wanted to. This is a very wealthy man. He's set. He's got good. Remember we said last week that we love to go from bad to good. It's the going from good to great that we struggle with. Sometimes we settle in good. Man, I got it good. I mean, when you read about Abraham and all the stuff he packed up with him, he's got some stuff. He's got so many, so much livestock. He's got a, you know, a nice family. And this was something I was thinking about this morning as I was going over these verses. You know, if God doesn't use Abraham, <laughs> you know, it, it, sometimes we read about it like if Abraham doesn't have Isaac, none of us would be here. But other people are making families. Other people are, I mean, you read about some of the families that you got 12 kids, 15 kids. I mean, there's some people, they can't shut the thing down. And you got this one guy, which we're already thinking, okay, God, why did you pick the one guy that 
But God just loves to show off. God loves the ordinary because he's, he, the, the extra comes from him. He's the extra. He adds the extra to your ordinary. He loves your ordinary. You hate it. He loves it because he says, good, now I can show myself strong. Now the great can show out through the good. Now the great can show up in the bad. And so I was thinking, I was like, you know, the father of many nations, as if, if he doesn't have Isaac, we're not going to be here. But there's still population growth happening. Even with that, if Abraham would have died and not had any kids, yes, God would have used somebody else, obviously. But there's still growth. But God wanted to prove a point because God wanted his people. But to get his people, you need his person because a seed reproduces after its own kind. So he needed a righteous man to create a righteous nation. Because righteousness breeds righteousness. Unrighteousness breeds unrighteousness. And so he's finding a righteous man. And Abraham obeys at one word, go. Now, here's what I want to show you, because I made a statement. I said, if you want to have an extraordinary life, if you want to do things, do something extraordinary, you got to have extraordinary faith. Well, what does extraordinary faith look like? Because really, when we look at this, this is really ordinary faith. I mean, faith is so extraordinary that when you use it, it can seem ordinary. See, God may not be calling you to get up and go to Africa, but he may be getting up and calling you to go across the street to your neighbor. That's just ordinary. That's just, for some of you, that may not be a big deal. Go across the street, invite them to church. Go across the street, you know, just see how they're doing. Go across the street, you heard they were sick, go take them some food. Oh, that's, that's just ordinary. That's not as big of a deal. And we dumb down. But when God tells us to do something, we said this last week, whenever you obey God, whatever you do becomes extraordinary. Automatically. Whether he tells you to get up and move to Russia and become a missionary, or whether he tells you to go talk to that lady down the aisle at Publix. It's extraordinary because you're obeying God. And whatever you do in obedience towards God is extraordinary. So... I have this little statement for you. If you want to live an extraordinary life, you must have ordinary faith. What do I mean by that? Obey what you know. Quit waiting for God to give you some extraordinary assignment, and that's when I'll use extraordinary faith. Obey God in the simple thing. Obey God when he speaks the first time. Obey God when he gives you even an assignment that doesn't seem that great or that mighty. Hey, I, I want you to serve as a greeter at your church. Oh, that, 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 that's ordinary. It's nothing great. Now, if, if he asked me to sing in the praise and worship team, now that I would need some extraordinary faith. <laughs> some of us would need some extraordinary faith. An extraordinary talent, extraordinary anointing, extraordinary ability, extraordinary vocal cords. Extraordinary sound effects to change my voice so when it actually goes through the microphone and into the speakers and comes out, it sounds completely different from who I am. Yeah. We need all kinds of extraordinary stuff. But an extraordinary life is led by ordinary faith. Now, the kicker, once again, is faith is never ordinary. But I use that word ordinary, so now you'll begin to identify no matter what I use my faith for, it's extraordinary. Obey God in the small things. Obey God in the big things. Obey God when he tells you to give $10 to someone. And obey God when he tells you to give $1,000. It's all extraordinary. And you will learn to lead an extraordinary life day by day. Not somewhere out there. Greater is not somewhere out there so you can reach for it and one day grab a hold of it. Greater is already inside of you. 
Quit trying to reach for something that's already there. And so we learn to lead an extraordinary life by just using ordinary faith. Abraham obeys, go. And what he didn't realize was God was testing him. Will he obey me in this? Okay, now, now I can announce you as the father of many nations. Now I can announce to you that I'm getting ready to do something extraordinary through your ordinary little body. Through your old, beat up, as good as dead body. I'm getting ready to do something awesome. Oh yeah, your wife, she has been unable to have kids and is now past the age of bearing children. Yeah, I'm going to do something extraordinary through her ordinary body. Through what seems usual, through what seems familiar, through what seems common, you've just... You know what? You're, you're so old now, you haven't even really thought about it. I'm going to use that thing, that thing that's ordinary, that thing that's familiar, that thing that people have written off and said, no, nope, can't use that, that's no good, that thing's dead. I'm going to use that, and I'm going to do something extraordinary with it. I'm going to make you a father of many nations as the multitude of the stars in the sky, the sand on the beach, that's going to be your family. It's kind of interesting that he had Abraham leave family to create a family. Because he wanted to show him it's not going to be by what you do. It's going to be, because see, he took Lot with him. And he wasn't supposed to. God told him to leave everything. And he said, I'll bring Lot with me. Lot turned out to be a problem. But God is merciful. And God is gracious. And God will still use you. But we've got to learn to obey. But he left. He went. And God made him a father of many nations. Look at Romans chapter 4. We, we actually have several accounts in the New Testament that speak of Father Abraham. Had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. Amen. We can sing that song today because somebody used ordinary faith. Somebody said, I'll go. Somebody said, God spoke, I believe it, and I'll obey what I believe. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What's that mean? That means Abraham didn't obey because it was written in stone somewhere and said, thou shalt move. He left because of faith. Now, what's righteousness? You know, a lot of us think righteousness is tied to the cross. Jesus died, rose again. I believe I'm righteous. Well, then how is Abraham righteous? Because Jesus is, hasn't even shown up yet. I mean, if righteousness is just tied to the cross, then we're missing something. Righteousness simply means to obey God at his word. To obey. To obey. Now, for us today, we have a command. If you want to be saved, Thou shalt believe on the Lord Jesus, that he died, that he rose again. So that's part of righteousness. But righteous isn't the cross. Abraham was counted as righteous because he believed and then acted on what he believed. So uh, the righteousness of faith. For if those who are the, of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made Of no effect because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Verse 16, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist 
as though they did. God loves to talk about things that aren't there yet. And that's what faith does. God will send you to a land that doesn't exist. God will call you something that you're not. God is always looking at your future. God is always looking at your potential. And just because it's not showing up today doesn't mean God isn't looking at it. So when God's talking to you and he's beginning to identify the extraordinary life that he's called you to live, he's not talking about what you're doing today because God is a God of faith. God is only moved by faith. And God talks about things that you can't see yet. So he's talking to a man that is dead, as good as dead. His wife's body is dead. There's no children coming out of there. And he talks to that thing and calls it one thing that it's not. He's calling life. He's calling life out of it. Look at verse 18. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. You had better be ready to believe contrary to what things look like. If you want to do anything extraordinary for God, you had better be ready to believe and get ready to do something that everything shows you is a lie and that can't be possible. Extraordinary people are not limited by what they see. Extraordinary people, people that do extraordinary things, do not get moved by what they see. They're only moved by what they can't see. In fact, they are more moved by what is not there than by what is there. And that requires faith. That is faith. If it's in the scene, faith is not needed. If you're believing for a car and somebody gives you a car, you don't have to have faith for the car anymore because you have it. It's in the scene realm. It's tangible. You got it. Now it's time to move on to the next thing. I heard a minister say once that God, being a God of faith, as soon as you get what you believe for, while you're excited and thanking him for it, he's already moved on to the next thing because he only lives in what you don't have. He only lives in what you don't see. Hebrews chapter 11, where we just were, over in verse 6, says it's impossible to please God without faith. If you don't have faith, if you're not living a life that's grabbing a hold of something that you don't currently have, you're not even pleasing God. If you're living in the good and just satisfied with everything you have, I like my paycheck, I like my house, I like my car, I like what I'm doing, and you're not living a life that requires some form of faith, that's not even pleasing to him because he doesn't live in that realm. He lives in the unseen realm, and he lives in the realm that is reaching and grabbing for something that you don't have yet. Contrary to hope, verse 19, and not being weak in faith. Oh, man. And not being weak in faith. If your faith is weak, strengthen it, period. You've got to strengthen your faith. You've got to develop faith. Look, this man is not letting anything stop him. He's not letting anything stand in the way. If it's contrary, he's not looking at it. He's looking at the promise. They, we've already seen in Hebrews, they said that she counted him faithful, that promise. When you look at a promise, you're looking at something that you don't have. If someone says, I promise, I'll do it. Well, faith and trust are necessary. There's the confidence there to believe in them. You don't have to promise what you've already done. I promise, I, I promise I'll be here this morning to preach to you guys. I promise. I'm already here. Now, if I said that last night, if I said last night, guys, I promise I'll be there 10.30 a.m. I'll be there at church, at Anchor Faith Church, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to preach. I promise. Well, then you would have a trust and a confidence that I would be there. But I don't have to promise that to you now. This has already happened. So God promised something. 
that wasn't in the natural, wasn't tangible, wasn't able to be, uh, wasn't able to grab a hold of, but they counted him faithful who promised. See, sometimes the promise isn't so much about what's being promised, it's about who's promising it. Because when you know who the one is promising it, no matter how crazy the promise sounds, you know they're going to, you know they're going to come through. You know they're going to show up. Even when he talks to you, your body is dead, and he says you're going to produce life. Verse 18, uh, verse 19, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. <laughs> did not consider. You're going to do extraordinary things. You can't consider. You can't look at. You can't debate with yourself. You can't try to figure out how is this dead thing going to produce life. If you only look at what you don't have, you'll never have what God has. If you are looking at your limitations, by the way, that's where we're going with Abraham. Every individual that we look at has a different thing that makes them ordinary that they had to override to become extraordinary. Abraham's is limitations. And if you only look at your limitations, it says there that he did not consider the, the weakness and the deadness of his body, but with strong faith had hope. Contrary to hope. You got no reason to hope, but he still hoped. No reason to believe, but still believed. No reason to have faith, but still operated in faith. Why? Because he didn't look at what he didn't have. Looking at what you don't have will keep you from what God has. You won't see the extraordinary in, in your life if you only look at your ordinary. So now you've got to begin to look at God's extraordinary. You've got to begin to look at the extra that God wants to add to your ordinary. He'll use ordinary people. That's not a problem for him. And because of the greatness that he's already placed inside of you, you can operate in faith in who he is. Abraham didn't have faith in himself. Oh, I, I guess my body's all of a sudden rejuvenated. I guess Sarah's all of a sudden able to have kids. Not just because of who we are because of who God is and because of what God wants to do through them. And now we're seeing ordinary people make the switch to extraordinary. He did not waver, verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. There's no wavering. There's no moving. There's no hearing God's voice and then thinking, is this really possible? Okay, you promised, but there's just no way. Okay, I, I, I see that that's what you've commanded me, but I, I'm not able. He didn't consider those things. He doesn't look at them. He's only moved by faith. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. How? How is he strengthened? Next phrase, giving glory to God. Why is that so important? The more that you can learn to praise and worship God, thank him for who he is, give him honor, give him glory, it gets your eyes off of yourself and it gets your eyes on him, who's the one who's doing it anyways. That's the part we, li we leave out. God, strengthen my faith. We'll glorify him. Tell him how awesome he is. Tell him how mighty he is. And then you start unconsidering, not looking at the deadness. God says he wants to do this through your business. And when you look at your business, all you see is dead. And he says, I want your business to produce life for the kingdom of God. Well, it's not even producing life for me. How am I supposed to take the resources and the profits of my business and be able to help bless somebody else? It's not even blessing me. Well, don't consider the deadness 
of your womb. What is the womb? The womb is something that creates life and then births it out. Your womb can be your bank account. Your womb can be your family. Your womb can be your career. Your womb can be your business. Your womb can be yours, you. It can be you, your body. It could be whatever that God is asking you to create life and birth that life out. But we're doing too much considering. We're doing too much looking at. We look at our limitations. You might look at yourself and you might look at your past and say, there's no way God can use me. I used to do this. I used to smoke this. I used to drink this. I used to hang out with these type of people. I used to watch this type of stuff. And you start looking at your past and that's deadness. But my Bible tells me that in Christ I have become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. All things have become alive. And start glorifying God. Start thanking Him. You promised. You're faithful to perform the promise that you gave me. And now I will not consider the deadness of myself, but I'll look at all the life that you have. That's how you do extraordinary things. Giving glory to God, verse 21. And being fully convinced, not half, not partial, not 99%. There's still a 1% chance that it might not show up. 100% fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Some of us were only concerned with getting righteous and not being righteous. I got righteous. I believed in the cross. I'm in the kingdom now, so I'm righteous. No, righteousness is believing and acting, believing and acting, believing and acting, believing and acting. That's what Abraham did. He heard a word, go, believed it, went. He heard a word, you can be a father of many nations, believed it, became the father of many nations. He heard a word. Now offer up your only son as a sacrifice to me. Even as hard as that was to grab a hold of it. Believed it, acted on it, climbed the mountain, took his son with him, got the altar ready, put him on the altar. And that's when God said, stop. Now I know. Now I know that you will do whatever I ask. Now I know. You know, God did the same thing. God took something that he only had one of, and he put that on an altar. God had to operate with the same faith that I'm going to send my son down to that earth where everybody else is messed up, and this is going to be the one man that's not going to mess up, and he's going to die for everybody, and he's going to bring my people back into the kingdom I have for them. He had to have faith, but God is a God of faith. James chapter 2. You got to deny yourself. See, what Abraham did, the first step of faith, is you got to deny what you see, you got to deny the ordinary. Look, you already know ordinary is not going to produce extraordinary. You already know that. So you know that somebody's going to have to add some extra to my ordinary to make this thing extraordinary. You already know that. But sometimes we stare at the ordinary so much. We stare at waking up, 5 a.m., getting the kids ready, making lunches, Getting everybody packed up, getting everybody in the car, barely getting them to school. Then I got to go, then I barely get to my job. Half the time I'm late. 
Then I got to go and I got to deal with a boss I don't like, coworkers that talk about me and I talk about them. And then I'm going to go and eat lunch somewhere. And then I'm going to come back to my afternoon and just feel tired and just look and wait for 5 o'clock to come. Then finally be able to get off, pick up the kids, get back home, hang out at home, do the, the mundane, monotonous stuff that we do, wake up the next day and do it all over again. And you just look at ordinary. You just look at mundane. You just look at the same old routine. You're saying, where is the extraordinary at? And God's saying, through that entire routine, I want to make it extraordinary. How about getting up at 5 o'clock and spending some time with me? And then how about instead of rushing around trying to get your kids together, how about talking to them about God and, and praying with them and, and getting with them and praying for your day and then dropping them off and then getting to work on time and being a blessing to your employer, even though he may hate you, even, mo- even though he doesn't like you and you don't really like him, you're going to be a blessing to him. You're going you're gonna to do everything uh, that, you're, that you're supposed to do. You're going to go above and beyond. And then those coworkers, you're going to invite them to church. You're going to talk to them about God. You're going to share the word with them. You're going to get home. You're going to spend time together as a family. You're going to be a blessing to your husband, and you're going to be a blessing to your kids, and you're going to read the word with them. Now we've all of a sudden brought extra to ordinary. And the old mundane routine thing, the thing you've become familiar with, you didn't have to go change all that. You didn't have to get a new husband, get new kids, get a new job, move to a new state, get a new career, go back to school again. You have to change all that silliness up. Just put the extra into the ordinary. God didn't look at Abraham and said, okay, we're going to do it through you, but you're going to need a new wife. And he tried that. Well, if God's going to do it, I'm going to need a different woman. And he tried that, didn't he? And got a son, Ishmael, who turned out to be the very enemy of Isaac. Sometimes we mess up stuff when we try to do it on our own. How about every time we mess up stuff? When we try to do it on our own. Let God do what he has said he's going to do. See, sometimes we get God's promise. I'm saying, okay, I see that. Let me help you out, God. I, I see where you're going. But what if we add a little bit of this to it? And he's just saying, get out the way. I've got the plan and I can perform it. Amen. So you got to deny the ordinary and reach for the extraordinary. This is, the, this is the, the, the thing of faith is it's twofold. Get rid of this and go after this. Deny the ordinary, reach for the extraordinary. Last verse. James, are you there? Chapter 2. By the way, uh, I believe that we've got our internet worked out, so we're back up and running with version. If you have the version Bible app, you can search us. We have our verses in there. We have our notes in there. You can take your own notes, which I highly encourage you. Print them out. Keep them together. I would encourage you this year in 2014, get a binder. Get something that you put all your notes in. It's important to journal. It's important to write. You know why I write stuff? So it helps me remember it. I write stuff down so it helps me remember it. I could preach my message without having to write my notes. But I write my notes, and then I type up a little thing. Usually, sometimes, Jimmy would tell you that I'm not good about doing it all the time. But I usually try to get something typed up for him so he can keep it back there. And all that going back over it just helps get it in me, man. Write them down. Put them somewhere. Look back over them. Meditate on the Word. James chapter 2, verse 14. And also... In you version, we leave this stuff in here all week long. So at any point, it could be Thursday. You say, you know what? I want to go back and I want to go back over Pastor Mark's message from Sunday. I've already gotten back into ordinary. I need some extraordinary. And so then you can go into you version, pull it back up, go on sermon.net, get the message again, and follow right back along as if you were there Sunday morning. I don't do that just to be cool or hip or to waste my time, I put that out there for y'all. It's a resource, a tool. Use it. Amen. James chapter 2, verse 14. I guess I need to click on it. Go to Bible reader. There we go. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Uh-oh. <laughs> Brought out that four-letter word that we don't like in church. Work. 
In Bible school, they tell us, how do you spell ministry? W-O-R-K. W-O-R-K. But in church, you know, we don't like this thing because we love the verse that says, you don't get salvation by works. And you don't keep it by works, man. So I'm saved and sanctified and I don't have to do anything. I can just lay in the grass and eat fruit. Man has been working from day one. People would be really disappointed if they, if they got a flashback to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the paradise that they thought it was. They'd be really disappointed to find out that God handed out Adam a shovel and says, all right, take care of my garden. What? I thought this stuff takes care of itself. I thought we'd just frolic around naked and pick fruit off of trees, except for that one, and just hang out and smell the flowers. Guard? Guard what? You don't have people that, yeah, that's your job. You got an assignment. Absolutely. We'd be disappointed. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you did not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself. Did you know that faith could be by itself? That faith is supposed to have a partner. Faith is supposed to have a sidekick that comes alongside and helps it perform and do what it needs to do. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Here we go. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? So now we've seen all three. Now we've seen the go, depart from your land. Now we've seen you are a father of many nations. And now we've seen the last one, offer up your son Isaac. And Abraham was justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. So we have two words, dead and perfect. Dead means incomplete. Perfect means complete. So if you want to complete faith, it's got to have an action. If you want to complete a life of faith, if you want to complete the faith, you have to apply action to it. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Not by faith only. Abraham was accounted as righteous because he believed and obeyed. Believed and stepped out. Believed and applied. Believed and acted. These are the two things we've got to work on. You want to be extraordinary. Deny what you see. Deny the ordinary. Deny the life. Deny the limitations. Don't be limited. God is a God of resource. God is a God of more than enough. God is a God of plenty. God is a God of I've got everything you need. God brings the provision for the vision. You know, planning a church is not an easy thing. And there are times, especially when we were first getting going, and groups are smaller, and naturally you're, you're looking and you're thinking, man, we're in a building that costs too much, 
for where we're at. But I know we need the space because I know we're going to grow. I know God's going to add to. You're looking at finances. You're looking at things, and you're thinking, God, you have got to bring it. And sometimes, there were a couple times, more than a couple times, it'd be the 30th or the 31st, and something would come in because he provides. Because he's faithful to perform that which he promised. And I didn't consider limitations. We don't have anybody that plays any instrument. We don't have enough people to work with our kids. We're having to use people three or four times a month. We, we, we don't even have enough people that are, uh, you know, can, are qualified for ministry, that have ministerial training. I didn't consider limitations because God told me this. Do what you know and work with what you have. Those two statements saved my life and saved this church. Otherwise, I'd still be floundering. You come here and there's about five or six families and you've come from a church that's running over 300 people, plenty of resource, every instrument you can think of, plenty of people that can play instruments, plenty of uh, singers, plenty of uh, other people to help you in ministry, people that are excited about it with you, plenty of people to work in the kids, uh, you know, plenty of space. I mean, the year before, we had just moved into a six-screen theater connected to a mall. That's not a tiny space. You're talking over 20,000 square feet. You're talking so much space, you're looking and saying, all right, what are we going to do with this? And you come here, and it's smaller. It's on a different level. And God told me two things. Do what you know. Work with what you have. And we did. We did. This week, we're having our first ever current youth night, Thursday night. And I know right now in this church, on the roster, we have two teenagers. But I'm going to do the same thing I did with every other area of ministry in this church. I'm going to do what I know, and I'm going to work with what I've got and watch God do the rest. I'm going to take the ordinary, and I'm going to let him add the extra, and we're going to have an extraordinary youth group that's going to be extraordinary in the high schools, extraordinary at Lowndes, extraordinary at Valdosta, and we're going to reach the youth of this city for the kingdom of God with two teenagers. You read through the Bible, God never waited for anybody to get it. He never waited for anybody to be the, be the right time, the right person. Every person we look at and the, the rest of the group that you can read about in the Bible, they were disqualified according to natural standards. Those three brothers that David took cheese to, and he's already been anointed as king. Those were the three, three brothers that had to stand there in front of Samuel and be told, you're not the next king. You're not the next king. Going on down the line. Those three laughed at him. You're going to defeat this giant? But God loves to use ordinary. The things that other people discount. The things that other people disregard. The things that other people disqualify. You might be that person. You might be looking in yourself like Abraham and see the limitations. And all you see is deadness. And all that God sees is life. But we got to start allowing God to do extraordinary things through our ordinary circumstances. We got to start allowing him to do greater things with our good. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have no limitations. No matter who in our life has disregarded us, no matter who in our life has discounted us, no matter who in our life has disqualified uh, us from doing anything great, we know you have no limitations. Father, forgive us for taking on those limitations. 
Some of us in this room this morning may have actually begun to believe what other people have said. May have started to actually accept the fact that maybe this is my life. Maybe this is all I'm ever going to do. Maybe this is just who I am. Father, we get rid of that thinking right now in the name of Jesus. And we do not consider. We do not consider. We do not consider the deadness. But we become strengthened in faith by glorifying you, giving you all the praise, giving you all the honor. Everything we are and everything we're going to be is because of who you are in us. And I thank you for the greatness that's in this room this morning. I thank you for the greatness that's in these chairs, whether they realize it or not, because the greater one lives inside of them. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise this morning. We love you and thank you for what you've called us to do, the great assignment. No longer do we disqualify ourselves. No longer do we look at it and say, no, that's too much. We grab a hold of your promise because we know that you are faithful to perform. We thank you this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.